We are in a series on the book of Acts. If you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 10. Come on. And we have been in this series now for 10 weeks. We're going to be going through Acts 10 and 11. I want to title this message, Uniting the Divided State of the Church. Uniting the Divided State of the Church. How many of y'all believe we need some more unity in our church, in the church worldwide? Um, We've seen it all over the world that there is a spirit of division. The enemy loves to get the church divided over petty little issues Because if we start fighting each other, we stop fighting the darkness. If we start fighting brothers and sisters, we forget who the real enemy is. And when we look in, in the book of Acts, Acts 10 and 11, these believers found themselves at times in arguments, in strifeful contentions, in disagreements. And what would happen is the church would um, end up, you know, shrinking back until they decided to get unified. Unity commanded the blessing of God. Unity brought the multiplication. Unity brought the favor of God. Where there's unity, the blessing of God flows. And unity starts with you and me. Everybody say, it starts with me. Starts with me. So we're going to look at this story where God began to speak to Peter and the disciples and and the apostles about unifying around a common vision, unifying around the main thing. This morning I was driving to a church and I stopped to get a coffee and the barista asked me, they said, pastor, what are you preaching on today? They know I'm a pastor. And every time I go in there, you know, I'm talking about victory and inviting them to come. And I said, I'm preaching about uniting the divided state of the church. They said, Ooh, I need that one. We all need that one. Come on. Starbucks needs that. Victory needs that. America needs that. Every church, we need unity. All right, so at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So this is an Italian, right? This is, a, this is not a Jewish man. Um, this was a Gentile. This was someone who didn't grow up in Jerusalem. This wasn't someone who knew about all the stories of Jesus or the miracles of Jesus. And yet he still believed in God. He and his whole family were devout and they were God-fearing. There's good people out there that believe in God, but they don't understand the power of Jesus Christ. They don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. And they want hope. They want, y'all, the world is looking for what we have the answers to. We have the answers. And I'm not saying we have all the answers, but we have Jesus. And he is the greatest answer to the problems that our world is facing right now. I may not know everything. I'm not the most educated person, but I know Jesus. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if I can share that with somebody, I can bring hope to somebody. All right, so Cornelius, he he knew about God, but he didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He was a generous man. It says he gave generously. He was a, a charitable person. He helped the poor. He was a praying person. He prayed to God. He didn't know who Jesus was or the Holy Spirit, but he knew there was a God, a creator in heaven. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. Did you know God sees your tithes and offerings? Did you know God hears your prayers? That God sees it and he hears it. God's listening to you. You might think that God doesn't care about your needs. He does. If he cares about Charmaine getting married, if he cares about Charmaine getting debt free, God cares. If it's on your heart, it's on his heart. You may not get what you want, but that doesn't mean he's not listening. 
because some of God's greatest gifts, Garth Brooks, are unanswered prayers. Sometimes it's better that you don't get what you prayed for, but God's still listening. Somebody say, he's listening. He's listening. So the angel said, God's been listening to you, Cornelius. If God was listening to a non-Christian, God's listening to you. God was listening to a man who knew about God, but he didn't know Jesus. And God said, I heard your prayers. I saw your generosity. I saw what you did for the poor. I saw how you gave to people who were in need. And the angel said, now send some of your men to Joppa and bring back a guy named Simon who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. God had a vision and a plan and he knew all the details. He said, here's the address. Here's the man's name. Here's his nickname. Here's where you need to go. Here's what you need to do. God has directions for our life. God is not trying to lead us blindly with no plan at all. He has a purpose. Somebody say, I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for your kids. God speaks. Not only does he listen to our prayers, but he speaks to us. And when the angel spoke to him, had left, Cornelius called his servants. He said, go to Joppa and find a man named Peter. While they were on their way. Now, Cornelius obeyed immediately. While they were on their way, about noon in the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So Peter was praying. Now, Peter was, we all know Peter was not a perfect man. We all know Peter had a past. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And that's, a good, that's good news for all of us in the room because that includes every single one of us in the room. If you're a saint, you got a past. If you're a sinner, you got a future. All right? So Peter was there on the roof praying. And if, if saints forget that they have a past, they'll miss out on reaching sinners who have a future. If I forget where I came from, if I forget what God's delivered me from, if I forget that I am nothing without the blood of Jesus, that I can't earn my righteousness, that I've received it by faith through grace in Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter's up on the roof and he gets hungry and he asks if someone could make him something to eat. So while the meal was being prepared, Peter falls into a trance. Have you ever been so hungry that you fell into a trance? <laughs> and I've been there before. I've been so hungry. Uh, Y'all, I was rollerblading yesterday and I was, I was like on mile eight or nine. I was coming back to the church and I was just, I, I think I was falling into a trance. I was thinking about kava. I was thinking about the grilled chicken pita uh, sandwich. And I was thinking about the onions on there. And I was thinking about drinking an ice cold lemonade. I was, I was fall, Peter was falling into a trance because he was so hungry. And he saw heaven opened up, something like a large sheet being let down on earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice spoke to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I have a friend who's a hunter and he has this scripture on, on his wall and around it is all these animal heads and animal skins, get up, kill and eat. And um, that's a good word for all the hunters in the room, just to stick to that scripture. But Peter, Peter heard this vision and he says, surely not, Lord, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. If we're not careful, the longer that we're in church, unintentionally, we start majoring on the minors. We start becoming very focused on specific things 
And Peter had become so focused on what he ate as if that's what made him holy. I'm holy based on what I eat. I'm holy based on being a vegetarian. This is a good word for all the non-vegetarians in the room. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Everybody say three times. Why did things happen three times to Peter? How many times did the rooster crow with Peter? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times did Jesus ask Peter if he loved him? How many times did Jesus say, feed my sheep? With Peter, the, word, the, the number three is such a it's, a, it's a number that's used often in Peter's life. Even when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? He asked three times. Jesus said, no, I tell you 70 times seven. But for Peter, three was a number that, that stuck with him. Three times God showed him this vision. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. What have you called impure in your life that God has already made clean? Who have you called impure that God has already made clean? God wasn't talking about food. God wasn't talking about animals. God was talking about people. God's heart beats for people, people, people. God's heart in the church is not beat beating for rules, regulations, strifeful contentions, petty arguments, laws. His heart still beats for people, people. Red and yellow, black and white, gay or straight, Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal, God still loves people. God still has a plan and a purpose for humanity. God's plan for the church is to reach a harvest of people. And guess what? The harvest of people is not just one group of sinners. It's not just the people who sin the way that you sinned. Anyone in the room ever sinned before in your life? Told a lie, cheated on a test, stole something, from a grocery store, hands are going down fast. Like, stop exposing me, Paul. <laughs> we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But someone in the church told us about Jesus. Maybe it was your mama. Maybe it was your aunt. Maybe it was your uncle. Maybe it was Pastor Billy Joe Darty. Maybe it was a commercial you saw on TV. Maybe it was something you saw on social media. Maybe it was a friend who invited you to victory, but someone shared the gospel with you, a sinner who needed the grace of God, a prodigal son who needed to be told the father's house is still open. Can I tell you God's call for the church has not changed? that we are still called to call sinners back home to the grace of God, the mercy of God. And you know, they might sin differently than you. They might think differently than you. They might have voted differently than you. They may not live the same lifestyle as you, but is every person on earth a candidate for the gospel message of Jesus Christ and salvation? And this is where Jesus was speaking to Peter. He was saying, Peter, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Simon, there's three men who are downstairs looking for you. Don't hesitate. Go with them. Don't hesitate sharing the message. I want to give us today seven ways that we can unite the divided state of the church. And the first way, number one, it starts with me. Somebody say it starts with me. It starts with me. If there's division in your life with people, whatever you can do that you haven't done, that you need to do, do it. 
Wherever you need to sow forgiveness, wherever you need to sow apology, wherever you need to sow repentance, wherever you need to let go of an offense, somebody say, it starts with me. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Any kingdom that's divided against itself. We're in a season right now where the enemy is trying to stir up division and strife, trying to split up factions and fractions and get people angry at each other and create multiple denominations. It's been going on for thousands of years. Now the enemy's trying to use it to stir it up over different offenses. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have our personal opinions on specific things that are happening in our nation and the world. We need that. But what we also need to remember is I can still love people even if I don't agree with them. I had a phone call last week after I posted on social media um, just thanking God that Roe versus Wade was overturned and that our nation's taking a step in the right direction to protect life. And, and this person said, how do you determine when life begins? And I said, man, I guess I'm not really the voice of authority. I find my moral authority from the word of God. It's outlasted presidents, laws, governors, mayors, governments. This, listen, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but this stands true. And I'm not trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to be divisive here, but this is where I find that the definition of life, that he formed me in my mother's womb. He knit me together. He had a purpose for me before I ever came out. Life was beginning right inside my mother's womb that God had a plan for me. And he said, Paul, I, one thing I appreciate about you is, because I called him because he left a comment on my social media. And I said, hey, I got your number. Why don't we talk instead of leave comments on each other's social media platforms? This is how the enemy works. He tries to get people just commenting on, you know, computer screens and phones. And, and you just need to pick up the phone and say, hey, brother, I got your number. Let's talk. So we're talking and uh, lives in another state. And he said, you know, one thing I appreciate about you is that you love people even that disagree with you, that you've stayed in my life and I've stayed in your life. And I said, I appreciate that about you, that even though we might vote differently, think differently, that, that we have been able to love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other. And I said, you know, give me some thoughts about things that you're facing right now and thinking about this. And as we begin to talk, we realized we have a common love for Jesus Christ. And that even though you don't have to agree with people to love people, you don't, have to, you don't have to have the exact same opinion as everybody in the church to still sit beside them on the same row and say, I'm going to pray for your family. I've never walked a day in your shoes, so I don't know what you're going through. But I know this, Jesus cares. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Y'all, this is why we as a church have to unite. Why? Because a house divided cannot stand. What are we uniting around? We're uniting around the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It starts with me. Somebody say, it starts with me. I remember when I was uh, 17 years old, I wanted to become a rapper, like a real rapper. Probably stop the keyboard for a second. That's throwing off my rap. Thank you, Carlos. Give Carlos a big hand. He's doing great back there. He's like, how do I follow the rap? But I used to be a rapper, and it was about a two-year-long career. I would do rap concerts and perform for, you know, five or six people. I performed at my prom. Ashley was there, my junior prom. I rewrote some Slim Shady songs, made them Christian. And um, <laughs> hey, everybody's got a past. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Come on, Victory Church. Don't, don't cancel me right now. So, uh, so 
anyways, during that time, I also was really into hip hop dance. Now, I wasn't the best at either of these things, but my parents still loved me and they still fed me and they let me stay in their house. And, um, and I joined a hip hop dance team. And uh, I remember going to the auditions, Natasha, she was leading it for our church. And she goes, Paul, what are you doing here? And I was like, I wanted to join the hip hop dance team. And she's like, for real? I was like, for real. And um, <laughs> she was like, okay. So she's like, show me your moves. I was like, boom, 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 boom. And um, she was like, hmm, we're gonna stick you in the back. Um, <laughs> but for two years, I was part of the hip hop dance team. It was out of my comfort zone. I was, I was hanging out with people I hadn't hung out with ever in my life. And you know what? It was good. It was bringing unity. Um, and it was, do you guys want to see some old footage from these days? I got some old footage. I'm going to show you guys a little throwback from one of our performances for the 4th of July, 2004. Check it out. Here it is right here. That's me right there in the middle. Come on, that's your boy, P. Diddy. Look at those moves. An elevated, elated, freedom for black men and white men, Mexican, Asian, or Arabian, Russian, or Argentinian, whatever color you are, we all should rush it. Bless the nation whose God is the Lord. America's blessed that America's blessed people. You know, even the poor man is rich in America. All right, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. All right. <laughs> Those were some highlights. I got a highlight reel. Uh, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> Everybody say it starts with me. Okay, so, but here's what I'm saying on that, is that sometimes we are only willing to do things that are in our comfort zone. We're only willing to connect with people that we've known our whole lives. You know, I remember sitting down with this man and this was several years ago, and he was, he was nearing death. He was an older gentleman right here in Tulsa. And as I was talking to him, he said, you know, I grew up during a time where there was uh, segregation. And he said, I had such a prejudice perspective on a certain ethnic group of people. And he said, I didn't realize how much it was still there until your father, Billy Joe, really started stirring unity up in the city of Tulsa and saying victory is not going to be a white person church, that we're gonna be a church for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity. Y'all, this is what heaven's gonna look like. Heaven is not just gonna be a bunch of Americans or one ethnic group sitting on the front row. Listen, heaven is gonna be every tribe, every nation, every tongue joined together. And this man, he began to speak to me. He said, at first, I didn't realize the racism, the prejudice that was in my heart, the bigotry that was there. And he said, as your dad started challenging us to get out of our comfort zone, to go eat lunch with someone that we normally wouldn't eat lunch with, to step out of our comfort zone, he said, the walls started to fall down. Here's how we unite the divided state of the church. We start asking the Holy Spirit, tear down every wall where I have built up walls of pride, prejudice, anger, offense, hurt. I don't get along with these people. I don't trust these people. It's time for the walls to fall down if we're going to see revival. 
Here's the second way is we got to see people how God sees them. If we're going to unite the divided state of the church, we've got to see people the way God sees them. Did anyone ever see the movie Remember the Titans? Come on. That's one of Denzel Washington's best movies. And in that movie, there's a moment where the team is fighting each other. They're angry at each other. Bertier won't get along with Julius, right? And they're, they're shouting at each other and they're punching each other and there's constant quarrels and you can just feel the prejudice that's happening between these, these teammates. And he takes them on an early morning run. And if you remember the movie, there's a moment where they're running and they get to a place and he says, everybody get down on one knee. And they're all listening. And he says, where do you think we are right now? And everybody's looking around, I don't know. And he said, this is the, the battle of Gettysburg right here. This is where Gettysburg was fought. And he said, on this field is blood spilled because men didn't know how to get along with each other. Brothers didn't know how to love each other. They didn't know how to see each other the way that God sees you. And he begins to give them this speech and something changes from that moment in the movie. All of a sudden they start working together. They start building a bond together. By the end of the movie, you got Bertier and Julius hugging each other, crying in the hospital. I always cry. I need to watch that movie this week with my boys. But you know, I'm trying to teach our sons the same thing. How can we see each other the way God sees us? Instead of looking at men and women going, oh, I'm so suspicious. I'm so angry. I'm so hurt. I'm so offended. I don't trust that person. I don't like those people. I didn't grow up. And, and oftentimes it's the way we're raised. It's the way we've been taught by a mother, grandmother, grandfather, whatever it was. It's time for the walls to come down. It's time for the scales to come off. God was opening Peter's eyes to say, Peter, they may not talk like you. They may not look like you. They may not have grown up in the same city as you. They might have grown up in a different neighborhood, but they are candidates of the gospel message just like you are. Never see yourself as superior from another human being. We all need the mercy and the grace of God. We all need the compassion of Jesus Christ. Am I preaching to the right, charismatic, spirit-filled, shout-back church this morning? So... Watch what happens. Look in Acts chapter 10 with me. These men come in verse 22, and they say, we've come from Cornelius. He's a righteous man. He's a God-fearing man. He's respected by other Jewish people. An angel spoke to him and told us to come and get you. So Peter follows them. He goes with them. And as Peter is walking with them, he asks, why did you send me? Why did you send for me? And Cornelius answers. He says, I was in the house praying. An angel spoke to me. And then Peter realizes what God was up to. Look at verse 34. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Can we just stop right there? God does not show favoritism. What God did for your brother, he can do for you. What God did for Charmaine, he can do for you. What God did for Oral Roberts, he can do for you. What God did for Billy Graham, he can do for you. What God did for Billy Joe and Sharon, he can do for you. What God did, listen, we've got to get a healed perspective of who God is. A.W. Tozer, famous theologian, he said the most important thing about a person is how they view God. Number one, the most important thing about a person is how they view God. Do you view God as a God who only shows favoritism to certain people? That God only blesses a few people? Do you see God as an angry God, a mad God, an abusive father, an absent father, 
a father who doesn't care about the details of your life, a father who only loves a certain group of people, a certain nation that he's only interested in Israel, or he only loves this ethnic group. How you view God is the most important thing about you because that leads to the second most important thing, how you view yourself in light of how you view God. That do you see yourself as one of his kids that he loves, that he cares about, that he's listening to, that he has a plan for? So Peter says, I now see God does not show favoritism. Verse 35, but he accepts from every nation those who fear him and do what is right. Verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of some, Lord of one nation, Lord of all. And then he begins to share the message. And watch what happens in verse 44. While Peter was still preaching the words, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. This was Pentecost 2.0. This was the Gentile Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 45, the circumcised believers. Now, let me stop right there. There was a group of Jewish believers who had accepted Jesus. They were circumcised physically, which if you don't know what that is, ask your parents later. Um, and they found their identity through that. It was some sort of an external factor, kind of how Peter found his, his purity from what he ate. I find my sense of righteousness by the fact that I don't eat meat with blood in it, that I don't eat, you know, steak, that I only eat whatever's kosher. Um, and, and so he's, he's saying here, there was a group of believers that had found their sense of righteousness based on external factors when they saw that these Gentiles were speaking in tongues, look at verse 45. They looked at those who were speaking in tongues. The gifts of the spirit had been poured out and they heard them in verse 46, praising God. And they realized they were astonished that the Holy Spirit was not just for the circumcised, but also for the uncircumcised. Then Peter said in verse 47, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So number one, it starts with me. Number two, see people the way God sees them. And then here's number three. As, as we're bringing unity to a divided, we've got a number three, keep the main thing the main thing. My dad used to say this, major on the majors, don't major on the minors. Let's keep the main thing. There were people, we're going to see this in Acts 11, verse 1, it says, the apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and women, and you ate with them. Now, the disciples are going backwards. They're going back to the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus warned his disciples, don't be like the Pharisees who major on the minors. They have turned the minor thing into the main thing. They have turned rules, regulations, laws, external factors as if that is the cure for man's sin. Can I tell you the only cure for man's sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. We only find forgiveness of sins, not based on what we do for church people, I'm not forgiving you, Paul, until you do every single thing I tell you. You're going to jump through every hoop. You're going to climb through every ladder. You're going to jump through the fire, and then we'll forgive you. Can I tell you, 
In the Bible, the only way we find forgiveness is by calling on Jesus. His kindness leads us towards repentance. And repentance is not some sort of a uh, pharisaical, yeast of the Pharisees, physical. You got to get circumcised. Then you got to get your hair cut. Then you got to change your diet. You got to eat these foods. Then we'll accept you into the church. Can I tell you, the acceptance that God brings is just call on the name of Jesus. That's good news for all of us because not everyone in this room has the right haircut. We got some mullets in the room. Come on, Jesus. We got some facial hair in the room. We got tattoos in the room. We got earrings in the room. We got people who've come in from all different walks of life and you are accepted when you call on the name of Jesus and you say, Lord, I need you. I repent of my sins. And that's the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. That's the main thing. And this is where we've got to get the global church recognizing we must come back to the main thing. We are not in a fight against brothers and sisters, but against spiritual powers of this dark world. We are in a war for the next generation. If we're going to reach kids who are trying to figure out what gender they are, trying to figure out their sexuality, we've got so much confusion in America right now flowing from every media channel you know and every new show that's coming out on Disney and all this stuff out there. The church has to come back to the main thing. Our world needs Jesus. Our world needs hope. Our world needs healing. And it starts with us coming around to that one big commandment Jesus told his disciples, love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you treat brothers and sisters who who look different than you, who eat different than you, who may have grown up different than you, who may have sinned differently than you. But the way you love each other, the way you keep the main thing the main thing is how there's going to be a revival that breaks out in America, in public schools, in private schools, in home schools, in in, in every area, in the universities, in the businesses all around the world. I want the band to come up. Number four, we are not each other's enemy. We are not each other's enemy. How do we unite the divided state of the church? We've got to remember, we are not each other's enemy. We are fighting against darkness. We are not fighting against denominations. We are not fighting against ideologies and philosophies and and different opinions. We are fighting against spiritual demonic forces that are coming after your kids. And we don't fight with our hands like this. I don't fight with my fist. I fight like this. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. I fight for my marriage on my knees. I fight for my kids on my knees. I fight for the church on my knees. I don't fight on Facebook. I don't fight in petty little arguments with people. I don't fight over little opinions. I fight in my prayer closet. I fight with worship. I fight with the word of God. I fight with the victory confession that I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. I fight with the declaration of faith that even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I'm feeling depressed, he's fighting for me. Even when I feel surrounded, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by an army of angels. I'm surrounded by songs of deliverance. This is how we fight. We are not each other's enemy. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're not the enemy. (laughs) 
someone just felt free all of a sudden. They go, praise God, I've been trying to tell you that your whole life, honey. (laughs) Revival's breaking out in homes today. You're not the enemy. Mom, you're not the enemy. Dad, you're not the enemy. Wife, you're not the enemy. Husband, you're not the enemy. Son, you're not the enemy. The president's not the enemy. The vice president's not the enemy. The government's not the enemy. The, 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 the leaders in another country are not the enemy. The enemy is the prince of darkness. He is a liar. He's the father of lies. And he whispers lies of shame, accusation, guilt, suspicion, stirring up murderous thoughts, stirring up sinful thoughts. So number five, we got to remember the only way we bring healing to a nation is through kindness. His kindness leads to repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. You can't be kind when you're prideful. You can't walk in meekness and love when you've got pride in your heart. If my people will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways. It starts with me. Somebody say it starts with me. Turn from my wicked ways. Humble myself pray on my knees. God says, I will hear their prayers and I will heal their land. I will heal the church. I will heal what God wants to do globally from Italy to Russia, to France, to America, to Canada, to Guatemala, to Mexico, to Peru, to China, to South Korea, to North Korea, to Australia, from this denomination to that denomination. Number six, never stop reaching and believing for God to heal, restore, save, and redeem. How do we unite the divided state of the church? We've got to continue to keep reaching, keep reaching, keep praying, keep contending, keep believing, keep praying for God to heal families, keep praying for God to restore people in your family. How many of y'all have someone that needs Jesus right now in your life? And you're going, I don't agree with their lifestyle. I don't agree with their decisions. Anyone got someone you don't agree with right now that you're connected to? Can I tell you what they need more than anything? Your love, your prayers, and your continual pursuit to keep reaching, keep inviting them, keep saying, hey, you got to come over for Thanksgiving. You got to come over and eat with me this summer. Come have a barbecue on the 4th of July. But you don't agree with my life, but I, I still want you to come in my backyard. I still want you to know that God's got a plan for you. I can still love you. I can still speak kindly to you. Listen, this is how we bring healing to a nation is we keep reaching and we keep believing for God to heal, restore, save, and redeem. So back to Acts 11. Peter looked at his brothers who were angry at him. They said, you shouldn't have eaten with those people. And Peter said, listen, you need to know the whole story. Look at verse four. He says, I'm gonna tell them the whole story. Somebody say the whole story. Be careful judging something before you know the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and I was in a trance and I saw a vision and I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked and I saw four-footed animals and God said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Then a voice spoke to me when I said, I'm not gonna eat that food and the voice said, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, Peter said. And he's looking at his brothers. He says, don't you see? God wasn't talking about animals or food. He was talking about the way we see people. He was talking about that it's time for the church to get out of a rut and get into revival. The church had gotten stuck in a rut. 
the way we get out of a rut and we step into revival is we ask the Holy Spirit to show us the new thing he's calling us to do. That, that we ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, where there's walls and scales, where there's hurt and offenses, where there's strife and division and suspicion, where there's a sense of anger and hostility towards church people. Lord, I pray, God, that you would move me out of a rut of, of self-focused thinking, of busy priestly thinking and Lord that I would be the good Samaritan that stops and lifts up the man on the side of the road and brings healing to a nation that brings salvation and restoration and redemption to those who have fallen so Peter starts telling him he says God wants to use us brothers John baptized with water but we will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire so if God verse 17 if God gave the same gift that he gave us who believed in Jesus Christ Remember, Abraham's salvation was by faith. Abraham's promise was by faith. It was by faith. It was before circumcision. It was before he did the external things. It was by faith. Who are we to cancel people? Who are we to stand in God's way if he wants us to save people who think differently than us? If he wants us to reach people that maybe we've pushed out of the church? Who have we called unclean that God is calling us to reach? And God said, that's a candidate for the grace of God. That's a candidate for the mercies that are new every morning. That's a candidate for salvation. That kid is a candidate for restoration. That marriage is a candidate for healing and redemption. God wants to use her story as a testimony. When they heard this in verse 18, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Can I take one more minute to, to, to just sum this up? All right. Number seven. Here's the final point. Seven points. God's number right here. Contend for revival. How do we unite the divided church? We start contending for revival. It's revival or bust in 2022. We're getting out of a rut. We're getting into revival. Revival. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in verse 19 that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they were spreading the word only to Jews at the time. However, there were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene who went to Antioch, and they began to speak to the Greeks, speak to the Greeks, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord's hand was on them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas there. And all of a sudden, the disciples began to explode and multiply. Revival is about to break out. I want us to stand to our feet all over this place. God used the church in Antioch to bring healing to people to bring restoration to people. God expanded. He drew a bigger circle. He expanded what he was doing. He lifted off scales. There was a famine during that time. They were able to help each other out. They had people paying for each other's camels and donkeys. Now we got people paying for each other's gas prices. We got people reaching out, buying groceries for people. By the way, if you're here today and you need groceries, we got bags of groceries on site. We can help anyone who needs food. Um, if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, we wanna bless you with a Bible today, right down here at the altar. If you're here today and you say, I'm, just, I'm, I'm in a time where I really need prayer. I just need someone to surround me. I'm walking through something. I need prayer. We've got prayer warriors that are ready to stand with you and pray with you. You are not alone. 
and you are welcome to come here at Victory, even if you don't believe in everything we believe, even if you don't behave the way you think you're supposed to behave, you can belong in this house because it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And it is our job to love people, to invite people, to bring people in and let the Holy Spirit do the work that only he can do. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to stand on the truth of God's word. We're going to find our moral compass only in the scriptures, not from political trendy ideas that come through the government or come through other people who are saying we need to leave behind the scriptures. Absolutely not. That's where we find our life. That's where we find our truth. That's where we find our hope. But today, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you say, I need strength, I need peace, I need grace. Maybe you're like Cornelius. You are waiting for a revival to break out in your house. You've been praying, you've been giving, and you haven't seen a breakthrough yet. You've been waiting for God to show you the directions on something. Maybe you're here right now and you've just been in a season of waiting for, for something that God's been He's, it's like he's promised it to you, but you haven't seen it yet. Maybe you're here right now and you've been waiting for a miracle. You've been waiting for a breakthrough. You've been believing God for unity in your house, healing in your family, healing in some relationships that are broken right now, that are divided right now. Maybe you're here today and you just say, Paul, I just need prayer. I'm walking through something. I need to get my eyes and my heart renewed and just revived. I need personal revival inside my life today. If that's you, just lift your hand up all over this room. God's speaking to you, Cornelius. Cornelius, he's speaking to you right now. He's saying it is time for you to experience that breakthrough, that personal revival, that restoration, that strength, that grace that wants to come into your house, that wants to come into your heart. If you're watching online, this is your day. Maybe you're here and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. I need to repent. I need to get things right with God. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I need to today make sure that my heart, my life is right with Jesus. Today, you can do that. Just lift your hand up all over this room. If you raise your hand for either of those, or you just need to get down to this altar today to pray and contend for revival, I want you to leave your seat. Come and join me at this altar. Come and move out from your row. Come and find a place right here. God wants to minister to you. We've got prayer partners that are gonna stand behind you, beside you. And church, let's just take a couple minutes right now just to lift our voices and just to pray and to worship and to speak the word of God over our lives, over our nation, over those that we know that we're praying for to see healing, restoration, salvation, redemption, to see testimonies breaking out in our city, in our family, in our nation, in the world, around the whole church. Go ahead, lead us, Jeremiah. On the Lord shall renew They shall mount up upon wings like an eagle. He's with you. He's for you. He's not abandoned you. He's not done with you.
rewiring some things in his brain. God was helping him to see things from a different perspective. God was changing his perspective. God was changing Peter's mindset. And when God did that, he started in Peter's mind and heart first, and then it flowed into Cornelius' house. And then in Cornelius' house, it, it grew. And the revival broke out. Had God not worked in Peter's mind and heart, the church never would have gone past what it was supposed to go past. And I believe today, God's doing a work in people's minds and hearts and you go, well, what, what good is that gonna do? That's where the victory begins. If he can rewire your brain and your heart, your emotions, if he can begin to change perspectives to see what he sees, to see what he sees, he says, this is where the breakthrough begins. This is where the breakthrough begins for your business, for your future, for your family, for your marriage, for your purity, for your walk with God, for the addictions you've been trying to break, for the habits you've been trying to form, for the discipline you're trying to walk in, for the best days that are, that are prepared for you. God says it all starts in your mind. It all starts in your heart. As we were singing this song, I just felt like God was putting some of you in a, almost in a supernatural trance like he did with Peter. It's like you're in the room, but your mind is, is somewhere else. And God says, I'm, I'm lifting your mind up to see what I see, to see the vantage point. For some of you, it's seen people the way he sees them. For some of us, it's seen ourselves the way he sees us. God says, I'm, I'm, bring, I'm breaking off the filters and the scales of shame, of pride, of anger, of hurt, of prejudice, of fear of comfort zones. And God says, I'm, I'm birthing in you a fresh hope, a fresh courage, a fresh peace, a fresh love, a fresh love. Lord, start with me. Start in us. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Not my will. Your will be done. Your kingdom come in me, through me, for your glory. I repent of sin. I receive your forgiveness. I need you, Jesus. I'm nothing without you. Be strong in me, Lord. Help me to see what you see. Start with me. I'm praying for revival for our nation, for the world, for this church, for all churches. So start with me. Do what you want to do in me and through me. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.